when we trust ourselves that we have the strength and all the tools inside of us, we then can live life leading with love and not in fear. I believe that the opposite of depression, it's not happiness, it's purpose. I believe that every single person has something unique to contribute to the world. And that's why I wanted to create a show called Don't Keep Your Day Job. Don't Keep Your Day Job is about figuring out what it is that you were here to do in this world that only you can do to make the world more whole, more beautiful, and to stop selling yourself short, and to stop sitting it out, and to figure out how to take this thing you love, whether it's art or music or screenwriting or dance or baking, and how do you weave this thing that you love into a life that you get to contribute, that you get to do what you love full time, because it's not just about business, it's about contribution, it's about meaning. That is what we seek, that is what we truly want, and you absolutely are here to serve the world, and I want to help you figure out just how much value you have inside of you. And every single week, we're going to be talking to people who have something to add to help you get out of your own way, to help you be more successful, to help you be the truest expression of you. My name is Kathy Heller. I'm so glad that you're here. Let's dive in. Thanks to BetterHelp for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. For 10% off your first month, go to betterhelp.com slash dreamjob. Start living a better life today. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to give you a quick reminder that if you want to turn this episode or any episode into some tangible results for yourself, then I want you to check out our free dream goal tracker worksheet. It's this awesome thing. It gives you prompts and exercises that you can do. You can do it alone, you can do it with a friend, and you could stay accountable for moving closer towards this vision, this dream that you have. It's important, right? It's important. And I think if you download this, it's going to help you. So go to kathyheller.com slash dream, and you can use this link. You can do this by yourself, this worksheet, or you can find a friend who's like-minded and the two of you can be like accountability partners for each other. And then both of you can start making those steps towards your goals and support each other along the way on this awesome path. Sometimes having that person alongside you really does make all the difference. So let's get into today's episode. I'm so excited because today we're joined by the amazing Poppy Jamie. She's an entrepreneur, a best-selling author, podcaster, speaker, and founder of Happy Not Perfect. It's a movement that explores mindfulness through brain science and technology to help people feel happier, calmer, and less anxious. It's also a mental wellness app, and it's a product line with a community of over 100,000 people. Poppy has accomplished so much at such a young age, including her new book, Happy Not Perfect, Upgrade Your Mind, Challenge Your Thoughts, and Free Yourself from Anxiety. This book teaches you how to shift your emotional well-being into a happier, balanced, and less anxious state. We're going to talk about some of the juicy subjects from the book, like how to bend and stretch your negative thoughts into better shape, unravel your emotional blockages, align with your deepest values and aspirations, and just so much more good stuff. It's a great book, so go get your copy. Poppy also has a podcast called Not Perfect Podcast with Poppy Jamie that you should check out. On her podcast, she explores mental health, physical health, soul health, and the scientific and spiritual tricks, tools, and wisdom to live life better. She's incredibly wise and beyond her years, and I'm so grateful that she is here today to share all of this knowledge because I think it's just such an important topic. So without further ado, please welcome the wonderful Poppy Jamie. Hey, Poppy, thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I've been so excited to talk to you, so I'm so glad it's happening. Ah, that's so nice. Well, I was excited to talk to you because you're everywhere right now. I feel like all my friends talking about you, reading your book, sharing your book. And I'm not surprised because as I said to you before we started recording, I feel like perfectionism is this big boulder, like that's in everybody's way. So before we get into 
your book and everything that you teach, can we just hear a little bit about your journey so we have some context for where this is all coming from? Yes, definitely. So I woke up in the middle of the night with these three words, happy, not perfect. And it was about seven years ago. And it was like having a cold shower reality check. Because for the first time, I really challenged how I was living my life and what I deemed the meaning of happiness was. And I had up until that point, believed that happy and perfect were the same thing. And so I felt so unworthy and I just knew I had to be better. I had to be better to be, to feel safe, to feel loved, to feel like I had a sense of belonging. And I felt as I was, I was none of those things. So I had to work harder. I had to work out more. I had to look better. And I, I also had this delusional understanding that I could create a life that didn't have any problems. So, oh, I'm going to be happy when I don't feel insecure anymore. And also I've sorted out all the issues that are right in front of me. And that drove me to like total burnout and exhaustion. And in that moment, when these words came to me, like happy, not perfect, it was this moment realizing that, wow, perfect doesn't exist. And if I keep thinking that I can create a life with no problems, then I'm going to be waiting for my entire life. Mm. And actually, how could I redefine happiness? And so kind of cut a long story short, from when I was little, I kind of created, you know, uh, coping strategies to mask and deal with the insecurity I had inside. And that led to workaholism, that led to people pleasing, and that then led to chronic exhaustion 20 years later. And the health crash was really the kind of stimulus I needed to really reevaluate the rules I was living by and if they were actually healthy and helping me. Mm -hmm. I just feel so touched by those words. I feel like there's so much medicine in those words. Like the idea that if you're going to wait for a life where everything is perfect, you're never going to be happy. And that's so powerful. And we're told in so many areas of culture that kind of perfect does exist. And obviously I don't think we can have this conversation without really mentioning Instagram and mentioning this digital world that has really taken over our world in such an extreme way that we most all of us have these kind of digital avatars as versions of ourself. And so even though consciously we and rationally we know everybody is projecting an identity that can be flawless online because online is 2D, it's not 3D. And then we become not only disappointed by not matching up to our own digital avatar, but then we obviously are not, you know, we compare other people's perfect outsides because the illusion of someone can be perfect, but the reality of someone isn't. And it's, it's, it's really, it's disorientating, I think at times, because everywhere we look, perfect looks attainable and it's become the new normal when really it isn't. Yeah. I feel like these are the things it's almost uncomfortable to have you say them out loud because these are the things that people are waking up with and whether they're aware of them or not, they're feeling this all day long, comparing themselves. I know that with my audience, we talk about this all the time. Like I want to do X, Y, and Z, but it's something that is not as nice or as shiny as what this person's doing, or 
I don't know where it's going to lead or what if people don't like it, or there's just such a feeling of, I can't gain momentum unless I know for sure that somebody gives me the permission and says like, no, it's great. It's perfect. Do it. It's like people are unwilling to tolerate how uncomfortable that is. So since that is so much of what's happening, how do we actually overcome that? So after kind of years and years and years of research, I really found the concept of flexible thinking to be the real medicine to very toxic thought and toxic thought health that I was putting up with because I really didn't know that my internal world could look any different from what it was, which was a fire pit of a very, very loud inner critic telling me all the reasons why I couldn't do something, all the reasons why I'm inadequate, all the reasons why, you know, I should question my value. And, you know, I don't want to be too gendered, but women, I think, are more vulnerable to this than men. And the ego is extremely slippery because it changes its shape the whole time. Suddenly the ego is like, oh, I'm going to remind you of your worst fear and I know you so well, so I know what to say to undermine your confidence in any moment. And so I had to get to a place where how could I face my ego and disarm it so it allowed me to live in truth rather than live in fear. And Elizabeth Kubler-Ross was a huge inspiration for me. And uh, she's a psychologist who was working in the kind of the early 20th century and was the, one of the first people to really study those that are dying. And one point that really stuck out for me was when she spoke about how humans only have two emotions, love and fear, and every single thought and every single behavior is a manifestation of either of the two. And suddenly I was like, oh, wow, when you can boil it down to two simple things, like, is this thought right now coming from fear or coming from love? And all our ego is, is fear. And that was really helpful in the path to go, but what does then love look like? Because it's this huge word. We talk about self-love, but what does that even look like practically? And the words that came to me were self-acceptance. How do we accept ourselves in every given moment when life is throwing us challenges that we're like, are you kidding me? Are you really giving that to me right now? How do we still dive deep into self-acceptance. Wow. That is so beautiful. I was just at a dinner and we were talking about like, what's your favorite line from a song? And I have so many that I was like, oh, this is going to be hard. But I just picked one, which is an Indigo Girls song. And the line was the hardest to learn is the least complicated. And what you just said, it feels like that, right? It feels like It's not complex. It's either coming from love or fear, but it's the hardest to learn because we're so committed to the story of what I want is on the other side of what feels hard. What I want my whole life, I knew I had to like earn and achieve. And like, as Mary Oliver says, walk on my knees for thousands of miles. So we get so wired to be in these states of resistance and fear that we don't even notice them. Like that's just a Tuesday. I think that is such an important point. Like fear becomes our normal and it's crazy. I remember, you know, my, my dad used to always say, well, you know, 
it's hard work. Um, if of it was course. easy, everybody would do it. And all these kind of, you know, these throwaway lines that as children, we all become so heavily conditioned in believing that life should be a struggle. Even the language we use around working, this idea of like hustling, there is like this element of pain that we feel we've got to inflict in ourselves. And I certainly did. I thought I wasn't working hard enough unless I was really stressed out and in pain and couldn't do one single extra email. And if I could, then I wasn't working hard enough. And that's why, you know, our brain is wired to be drawn to the familiar and the brain is wired to predict and protect. And so if we've survived at once, then our brain thinks, great, we'll survive it again. Let's choose the familiar option. But often we're choosing like painful relationships to go back through those patterns over and over again. And that stepping into love, that is what can often feel the most dangerous but obviously it's an act of self-love. It's just, it's not dangerous. It's just unfamiliar. And so that's what makes us kind of feel that uncomfortable about it. So rewiring ourselves, it's a lifelong process, I think. It's so good. And it's so interesting where one of the human needs is certainty. People want, like mm. you said, what's familiar. At the same time, what everybody is thirsty for is something expansive, is something transcendent, is something exciting and magical and that feeling of the wind in your hair. But that's on the other side of certainty. Like you have to be willing to let go to actually walk toward that horizon. There's going to be a moment where you're leaving what is familiar for what is not. And that unfamiliar, it's so potent and pregnant with possibility, but it's also so terrifying that if you boil it down, people will just choose it over and over again, because at least it's familiar. So then in your experience, what allows you to flip that so that you get to have a little piece of that neon light experience of magic? So I remember my mom telling me a story about a bird kind of perching on a twig. My mom's a, a psychotherapist and through her thousands of clients, she'd always say, you know, we are all little birds on twigs and we get so terrified about the thought of the twig beneath us breaking. But I've got to remind people that we all have wings and we can all fly to another twig and fly to another twig. And I thought, oh gosh, it's the ha having that self-trust that we all have wings, I think is the greatest skill and gift we can give ourselves. And I think that's really when our anxiety rises, when we forget we have the wings, we forget we have the tools, we forget we have this like unbelievable resilience, inner strength uh, we all have inside. And so... Um, in the book, I write about flexible thinking as a way for us to constantly develop this self-trust that we can always choose a new direction. Like, you know, the fly bashing against the window time and time again, just thinking if it's going to bash harder, the window will open, will eventually get exhausted. But the fly that pauses and actually goes, oh, the window next door is open, flies through with ease. So I thought to myself, what is it that can help us be that fly that pauses 
pivots and moves forward with ease rather than the feeling that we've got to constantly bash our heads just harder and harder thinking that's the way forward. And um, great analogies. I love the birds and the twigs. I love this example of the next window (laughs) over is open. So how do we change that? How do we start to employ that kind of thinking? So I call it the flex method and it's based on four steps, which the four C's connection, curiosity, choice, and commitment. And they're super easy. So the first step, which I believe is total foundation to how we move through life, and that is connection. And I think to talk about being flexible, we've also got to understand how stiff we are naturally. And I think we kind of touched upon that in like, we will sit in fear before we move to love more often and we are all products of our past and so the way that we perceive the world we interpret the events that happen to us is purely based on the lens that was created through early experiences which we had no really kind of like it's it's not our fault but it is our responsibility to challenge the lens that we see life through and also challenge the way that we want to recreate the lens moving forward that it starts by being actually connected to ourselves and not disconnected in a way that I think the world that we're currently living in promotes. Like everywhere we look, they want us to to distract ourselves away from connecting our mind and body, whether it's scrolling through Instagram or it's suddenly like being hooked on Netflix, whether it's just kind of like engaging in work or whatever it is, our attention, like I think has kind of shrunk. And I think we also kind of inherently scared of feeling too much. And emotions are, are kind of unintelligent in a way because without understanding our emotions they can kind of make us do dumb things and then we go oh god why did I say that and the connection step I find really easy through the diffusion technique which is something I was very inspired by um, in acceptance commitment therapy and it's a really simple sentence and every single day I connect with myself by saying today my mind feels and I label how I feel so let's say I was feeling a bit overwhelmed earlier because I had so much work. So I was like, today my mind feels overwhelmed. And what is so interesting by that super simple sentence is today I'm reminding myself emotions are temporary. My mind, I'm reminding myself that I am not my emotion. None of us are anxious people or angry people. We are just experiencing emotions and they're all like clouds, they pass by. And then I label the emotion. And research studies found when they did brain imaging studies that the emotional center becomes deactivated when we start to label how we feel. When we don't label how we feel, we suppress how we feel, we carry on an autopilot or we carry on trying to be perfect, we've got everything under control. We live out what is called duck syndrome, which is, you know, gliding along, uh, looking like perfect ducks when underneath we are paddling for dear life. It is only activating our emotional center more. So it kind of does the entire opposite of what we're trying to do. And then in the connection step, it's about what kind of connection do you have with yourself? Do you have that connection with your mobile phone where it like drops in and out and the Wi-Fi is bad and you're like, hello, hello? Or do you have that beautiful connection when you go, I can hear you crystal clearly, what's up? And so how to get a better connection with ourselves is, I really believe is like through movement. It's really difficult to think your way out of a problem, so much easier to move your way out of a problem. 
So take the moment when you're stressed, you get a very triggering email. Suddenly you can feel your shoulders tense up, your breath becomes a bit shorter, you're feeling a bit pissed off. You want to fire back an email with what you think. You've just got so much energy inside of you. Go back to caveman times when we were triggered and we and our fight and flight was activated. We had energy to move out of a situation of stress. But right now we live such sedentary lives. We have this rush of energy and we continue to sit there. And so that's why I think it's imperative to upgrade the connection we have with ourselves through making sure we are always in that state of movement. Is it a five minute walk? Is it two minutes of dancing? Is it belly breathing for six, like six breaths? And making sure that like, even if it's just regular movements throughout the day, you're just making sure you're constantly moving the energy through your body. Otherwise, I find that it is the greatest fuel for our kind of like toxic thoughts to, to kind of like nest and multiply. It's fascinating and it makes so much sense. I've been doing breath work only recently in the last maybe two, three years. And it's amazing how just like, moving breath through the amount of epiphanies, the amount of things that just come up as like divine downloads, they're right there. And we get so stuck, like you said, that we, we really disconnect from our intuition. And as you said, when you began this piece, it's like, we're not in a society that's, that's wanting us to keep moving toward that. If anything, I, I often say like, when you pray, you close your eyes. When you meditate, you close your eyes. When you make a wish on a candle, you close your eyes. What is that? Well, the word insight means insight. It's insight. Mm. And everybody's always like pulling the crowd and there's constant stimulation from the crowd. I read something today on Instagram that said like, my biggest accomplishment was learning to move without the crowd. Mm. And it's hard to trust that when you're constantly being told you need this, what about this? Well, so-and-so thinks this, well, aren't you on the bandwagon? Everybody wants belonging so badly, but what happens is we don't even belong to ourselves. So then we don't belong anywhere, right? We're abandoning ourselves all the time. We don't even notice that we are. And then we keep thinking that if we arrive at this person's destination, or if we give up ourselves for this person, we're going to feel like we are home. But again, it's not the twig, it's the wings. And that's what's so fascinating. It's like, it isn't complex, but it's something that we really, for some reason, we get so pulled out of center. So you just talked us through the four-step flex. But some of the other themes that you cover in the book, which, which connect also to that, you talk about bend and stretch your negative thought pathways into better shape, which I know that we've kind of been talking around these same ideas, but what do you mean by that? So this is really going, going back to what is a stiff reaction and a flexible reaction. And Viktor Frankl, if anyone's read his book, Man's Search for Meaning, one of the best books ever. And he has that amazing quote, which is between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space is our power and our freedom. So a bendy response is us pausing, not giving in to that reactive brain we have that wants to, again, like reply to that email or respond to that uh, point of view that opposes us with you're wrong or trying to defend our opinion. It's that really curious brain that says, hmm, tell me more. 
hmm, that's interesting. Tell me more about that. Or when our inner critic starts to pipe up, when we're just about to do something out of our comfort zone and it says, oh my God, what are you going to do? You're making a fool of yourself. Like you're, you're inadequate. You're not good enough. You shouldn't be here. What are they going to think of you? It's pausing and saying, is that true? Is that true, that thought? And more often than not, we realize the root of our suffering is is within our thoughts. And usually the root of our suffering happens when we have reacted to something without truly thinking and bringing our whole brain with us. Because when we're just being in the emotional brain, our computer side, the wise part of the brain is switched off. And so I like to like think of the brain almost like the uh, brake and the accelerator of a car. Both of them can't be down together. So when you are accelerating along at full pace, your emotional brain is so in control. But when you pause to assess and wait for more information before you decide what to believe in your thoughts, before you decide how to react, you actually give your executive functions time to switch on. You put the brake down. And suddenly we all know we make better decisions when we slow down. And so this idea of like bending is bending away from being fearful, critical towards ourselves and actually bending to being compassionate, choosing to be kind in everything we do, choosing to be kind to ourselves, choosing to be kind to others, and then committing to the person we want to be. And I find that, you know, people talk about manifestation like a lot, but really our power to manifest is in the present, is in how we respond to the situations, the decisions we make right now. And often we can get a bit lost in thinking about, oh, well, these are things that I want to happen in the future. The future is happening right now. The future is under construction in the present. And so being bendy is about being nimble and about having understand of your wildest dreams that you are bringing forward to create in the present. Wow. It's so interesting because me personally, and my audience has heard me say this a couple of times, but I'm the gas all in. Like I just like slam the gas and my husband is the brakes. And like, <laughs> he is a lawyer. Now he's been transitioning into writing comedy because he's so funny, but he struggled with leaving law because he's such a person who needs more information and likes all the data. And he takes his time. Everything's so methodical. I kid you not. Like we were looking for a toaster and every other purchase we make, I make like so fast. I like walk in the store. I'm like "Mm, the blue one. I like go online. I'm like, add to cart, add to cart. And for some reason he cared about the toaster. So I said, you know what? I'll let you buy the toaster poppy. He didn't buy the toaster for almost seven weeks. He compared reviews, this, that we, at one point we were in bed, bath and beyond. He's like, no, I know I can get the one with this other feature. I'm like, it's $189. You could have had six of them by now. Who cares? That shows you sort of how long it takes him to make bigger decisions, where to move, where to live, where the kids should go to school. But what I realize, and not just as you're talking, but it definitely is reassuring as you're talking, but it's a very important thing for me to have that in my life because I'm so in my emotional brain that I don't give myself time to pause and to think and to calibrate. I just like make decisions, make decisions. And Some of that's good because there's a ton of movement and momentum and and I learn through doing and I do it messy and I don't overthink it, but some of it makes me feel very spun out and 
I can see we're like having him like at the other extreme somewhere, maybe we find the middle. So I just think that that's so interesting that you, you talk about that. I love this conversation, but before we keep going, we're just going to thank our sponsor. In this episode, we've been talking about obstacles to being happier and accomplishing your goals. And sometimes it helps to talk it out with someone who can give you an outside perspective, like a therapist from BetterHelp. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can connect in a safe and private online environment, and you can start communicating in under 48 hours, all without having to sit in a waiting room. Anything you share is completely confidential, and BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling. You can even get financial aid. Plus, they offer a broad range of expertise like relationships, depression, stress, anxiety, trauma, self-esteem, and so much more. Therapy has helped me on and off throughout my entire life when I'm in my own way, and I think it's just... It's so important for everyone to have this as an option that's available. So I really love that BetterHelp is making this accessible and affordable because taking care of your mental health really should be a priority. Start living a happier life today. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash dreamjob. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. That's betterhelp.com slash dreamjob for 10% off your first month. Thanks, BetterHelp. Another thing you talk about in the book is this theme of like unravel your emotional block like whatever's blocking you. What does that mean? How can we identify what that is? So in the book, that's why I added in loads of flex exercise exercises, because again, our emotional blocks are sometimes not what we think they are. And also they change. And you think you've kind of unblocked one and then something else comes up. And that's why we're always a work in progress. And I think it's nice to know that, I mean, what I believe anyway, there's no such thing as perfect mental health. So this idea that we can be wholly unblocked, <laughs> like, you know, maybe the Dalai Lama, you know, but like most of us are, you know, we are just, we're like onions. You kind of go for one layer and then you find another layer. And I think it's really coming through self-inquiry. And as the ancient Greeks said, know thyself. And when we do take a pause to actually understand like that every single emotion has such a purpose. And I think I try not to be led by my emotions because in my kind of heart of hearts, like me without this work is like one huge ball of emotion. And uh, for any of you that follow astrology, I'm a Cancerian. So I'm like hyper emotional. So it's been like a real learning curve to be able to, how do I decipher, unlock my emotions for all their power and wisdom and understanding of myself, but not be driven by them and make decisions that I then regret. As Ray Dalio says, the quality of your life is based on the quality of your decisions. So this idea of like unraveling our emotional blocks, often I think there's a number of different kind of like exercises to kind of like help you where your emotional blocks are. And I would say I have this amazing spiritual teacher and she always asks me, what would be the hard decision in this? So I was in this relationship. I was like, oh, I don't know if I should stay or I should go. I just don't know what I should do. I don't think it's the right relationship. And she's like, what feels most uncomfortable? And I'm like, well, actually staying because I'm someone who's been single for like decades. I actually thrive being single. So for me, getting out of a relationship, it feels better than staying in something and actually facing up to my mirror and actually working through something. 
I'd rather like dart, move countries and suddenly be like, oh, I'm in another country. That's why it can't work. And that's been really powerful because then you really realize where your emotional blocks are. I didn't realize I probably had more of an issue with commitment than I thought until I was in it. And I was like, actually, this is feeling uncomfortable staying here. And actually my confirmation bias was trying to find all the evidence for why I should go. And so, yeah, so if you are in a tricky situation, regardless like of oh, changing jobs or moving countries or moving cities or moving houses, just think to yourself, like what feels almost, what feels a bit more uncomfortable? And that's where I think often our emotional blocks lie. Mm-hmm. That's really, really juicy. You also talk about in the book, this is like a beautiful theme, which is create a life that's aligned with your deepest values and aspirations. And I feel like everybody wants to do that, but even though that word is a buzzword alignment, I don't know that everybody even knows how to do that, how to find that. What do you think about it? How to find alignment. Yeah. So that you can, you can live a life that's in alignment with your values and aspirations. Like we first have to understand our values. So in the book, in the last chapter, I give you 26 questions to answer because again, our values change. And I think, you know, the values we were conditioned with, I think we spend a number of years like living by them. And then we have kind of values in different stages of our life. And so I think it's really important to every single year have a routine check as to what is my value and where does this like lie in the priority list? Because one year, maybe work is, you know, finding fulfilling work is, you know, a high value and high on the priority list. And thus you allocate time differently, depending what your values are. And I think we feel out of alignment when things feel really difficult. And this goes back to that kind of the conditioning of, oh, ever you know, work has to be really hard. Life has to be really hard. And don't get me wrong, growth can sometimes feel really uncomfortable. And that's different from I think the universe or like our soul telling us that we're going in the wrong direction. And again, it's like getting really quiet and it's the pause. It's the power of the pause to realize, is this uncomfortable because it's not right for me? Or is this uncomfortable because actually it's growing me? And like, no one has the answer but yourself. So in terms of like your values, what I think is really important to do is usually kind of, just be really scrappy, get a mind map and go, what would be my, like my wildest dream self? What is she doing? What's she like? And then be like, what values does this person have to be that dream, wildest, wonderful self? And you're like, oh, okay, well, that person really values family because my wildest, wonderful self has a family around her and she is like traveling. Okay. So how would that person, I kind of like do like you um, connect the dots backwards to where you are and you put those values to get to her or him. And, and that's then when you come up to every decision, you have your own personal manifesto and it saves you so much time. Because suddenly you get an opportunity. Do I want it? Do I not? You literally pull up your mind map of your like dream, wonderful, wildest, beautiful, best self. And you go, does this decision get me closer or further away to my dream, wildest, wonderfulest self? Mm. Gets me further away. Okay. No. 
and like the most brilliant people on earth you know the tales I feel I hear from them is they say no more than they say yes they know what to say no to yeah and if you're kind of have any sort of people pleaser bone in you like I do we find it extremely hard to say no (laughs) so sticking to your values is challenging because the world is like yeah but what about what about and you've got to be really committed to your future best self than to the present situation that's taking you off course. A hundred percent. And I'm a people pleaser in recovery for that. <laughs> so I totally get it. It's like, so amazing how I will just, I used to picture myself like those guys at Disneyland that have like, they're holding like a thousand balloons and throughout the day they sell, you know, several of them. I feel like I start the day with like a hundred balloons. And by the end I gave everything away. Like I just had no balloons left for myself. It's just like, what do you want? Absolutely. Right there. It's like, wait a second. Um, on that same note, I just wanted to touch on it. The other place where you're doing a lot of talking about these things is on your podcast. Not perfect. Tell us a little bit about what people can expect when they listen to the podcast. So I really wanted to create a space for the research I was doing into this field and to, for us to really understand our brain, because I think True change comes through education. Like out of all the things I've done, and I've done crazy meditation and crazy sound bars and breath work and so much therapy and all the rest of it. And actually, when I really think to myself, and this is why kind of the center of the book is around like learning about how our brain works. The podcast is just really an extension of that is like, when we understand how we work, we can work better. But if you don't understand how you work, how can you fix how you work? And the the kind of, I think the greatest freedom I've had is to understand what makes me me. And the podcast is very much about just talking to incredible, you know, mental health professionals, really, just to understand like how, I guess, the education we never got given at school about kind of like how to be a human being in earth school. Right. Yeah. So that's kind of like the format, but it, it really feeds into like all the different kind of like work I do is, is really with that aim. It's like, how do we share this insight about how to be human yeah. and help us all kind of get through it? Let me ask you this as we're wrapping up, since the podcast and the book share this happy, not perfect, what does it mean to be happy? I remember talking to Jillian Michaels about happiness and she said, there's no arrival. Like it's not a destination, you know, it's not like this happened and now this, and now I'm happy and I I'm happy here. It's like, she said, well, you might be happy for six hours or three days, but you know, so what does it mean to you? Happy. I think to me, happy in a way now means flexible. Because when I know that I can be flexible, I know that I don't ever have to break. I know that I can bend around any challenge that comes my way. And I know that I can always create a better shape afterwards. And that really leads to those words of like self-acceptance and self-trust. When we trust ourselves, that we have the strength and all the tools inside of us, we then can live life really going back to those first points we said we can live life leading with love and not in fear so to me happiness is waking up every day and choosing to live with kind of self-compassion because then it's so not based on anything external I don't need things to 
I don't need to control my external environment because I can kind of roll with the punches. 100%. And this whole thing about not being perfect, why does it matter so much to you that you put it in the title of everything? I think because everywhere we're told perfection is the answer, whether it's like looking at where we buy our clothes or even the grocery market where we see perfect vegetables or, you know, or like work or, you know, I think it's the barrier to having really healthy self-esteem and self-acceptance is, is this illusion that we could be better. Perfection is literally just an incredibly toxic voice telling you that you're not enough as you are. So when we remove that voice of like not enough and go, actually, I am such a wonderful, unique human being and all of us are just a little kind of like ray of light and every single one of us are just a ray of light in our own little ray of light way. It like just, it like releases that fear of comparison. We don't need to compare ourselves at all because we just know that we're special as we are. And also just remind myself that life is never going to be perfect and that's the fun of it. And then you're never kind of caught off guard and also you're not disappointed and you also don't have like crazy expectations that kind of put you on this roller coaster. So it's reminded myself of that. I always say I'm like, when you're saying I'm a recovering people pleaser, I'm a massively recovering perfectionist because, you know, that the inner critic never really goes away. We just become better at disarming it and challenging it and, and not having to like follow it. But one thing that has like resonated so much recently is And it kind of relates to that understanding life is not perfect and taking away our kind of the need to compare is remembering that life is like shoots and ladders. In the UK, we call it snakes and ladders. You know, we've got no idea if we're about to hit a shoot or a ladder, but we all know that everybody else is also playing shoots and ladders. So there's no point kind of comparing because one day I'll hit a ladder, but the next day I'll hit a shoot and someone else will have it the other way around. And I think it kind of makes us all just go, oh, you know what we need to take the pressure off ourselves and and the pressure we put on others too it's so nice you have an amazing amount of wisdom every time I ask a question like oh I was just thinking about this oh well someone's and you have such also great metaphors um so tell us where we can buy the book and where we can follow your podcast and everything else oh I think that's such a kind compliment so thank you you can buy the book to be honest, any book where you, anywhere you really buy your books, obviously like Amazon, Barnes and Noble, or any, I think quite a lot of like independent bookstores. And then you can just find me on social media, just at Poppy Jamie. And uh, if anyone does read the book, I'd love to hear from you because it's always so interesting to hear what resonated or what didn't. So always open to feedback. Amazing guys. Yeah. If you enjoyed this episode, then share it with a friend, put it on your Instagram, tag her at Poppy Jamie, and you can tag me and then we can see like, Hey, maybe we'll say hello. Maybe we'll reshare it. But, um, thank you so much, Poppy. Thank you for putting this light in the world and being so genuine and so easy to talk to. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been such a fun conversation. 
Talking to Poppy was so much fun. Here are the takeaways. Number one, we're all like little birds on twigs, terrified of the thought that the twig beneath us is about to break, but we all have wings that can fly us to the next twig. Number two, you are not your emotions. They're temporary, like clouds that pass by. Number three, between the stimulus and response, there's a space. In that space is our power and our freedom. Number four, be committed to your future best self instead of the current situation that's taking you off course. Number five, you can bend around any challenge and create a better shape afterwards. Number six, when we trust that we have the strength and tools inside of us, we can live life leading with love instead of fear. Number seven, we're each a ray of light in our own way. And number eight, life is never going to be perfect, but that's the fun of it. Thank you so much for being here. I just can't tell you how much I appreciate you. I know that your time is super limited and it's valuable. So it means a lot that you spend it listening to this show. We have so many exciting episodes coming up. So make sure that you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen because it's free to subscribe. And if you're loving this show, then please leave us a review so we can keep creating content that you enjoy and that you find valuable. And if you know someone who's seeking a happier life and wants to get out of their own way, then send them this episode and you can send them this dream goal tracker worksheet so the two of you can work together and actually working towards once and for all being able to do the things that you want to do, being able to get paid to be you and and do you full time. You can get the worksheet for free at kathyheller.com slash dream. And I'd love to hear what you think of this episode. So go to Instagram. You can tag me at kathy.heller. You can tag Poppy. She's at Poppy Jamie. I'm sure that she would love to hear what you guys thought was resonating with you from this episode. I love you so much. I'll leave you with a song of mine and I'll talk to you tomorrow. The podcast is a production of Authentic. For more info on advertising in this show, visit AuthenticShows.com. Subway cars filled with tiny souls. Some are young and some of them are old. Saddest faces you have ever seen. How can we set each other free?
Gonna be happy, gonna be happy.